0: Welcome to the Employee Safety Podcast from Alert Media. We provide business professionals with insights and ideas for protecting their people from the vast array of threats facing organizations today. Each week, you'll hear advice and best practices from an experienced safety leader. Here's your host, Peter Steinfeld.
1: Serious injuries and fatalities, also called SIFs, can have devastating effects on employees and their families and severe impacts on the organization itself. The U.S. Bureau of Labor Statistics recorded more than 5,000 fatal work injuries in the United States in 2021, and the 2022 data could be even higher. That's why we're kicking off National Safety Month with a special two part series on how to prevent SIFs in the workplace. For part one, I invited Laurel and Russ Youngstrom to share their deeply personal story of how a serious workplace injury impacted every aspect of their lives. Now, Laurel and Russ travel the world speaking to companies of all sizes and industries on the importance of holistic safety training and prioritizing SIF prevention. Let's listen to their story. Laurel, Russ, really appreciate you guys being here today. I was just so moved when I heard your story, and I look forward to sharing it with our listeners. You know, we can talk theory all day long, but it's incidents like these that you're going to talk about that help people understand why employee safety is so important. So thank you again. I really appreciate you taking the time.
0: Well, thank you. Thanks for having
2: us.
1: Thank you for having us. So let's go ahead and jump into it. What happened in your past?
2: The accident. The morning I fell, gave Laurel a kiss goodbye. Our son Spencer was asleep. Once uh, I got to work, I signed the clipboard. And then we got our swing staging and our safety lines all hooked up at the top of the building. And we got everything inspected by management and they gave us the okay to start power washing the outside of the paper mill. So we're power washing, we're making good time. I'm unhooking here and there. So it was my idea, let's climb on top of the handrail to get better leverage. When I stood on top of the handrail, my safety line was in a bad angle. And so I unhooked it. And I was unhooked, but I had a weird feeling. And I looked, and our safety guy, Rex, was watching us. I climbed on top of the handrail to get better leverage. And then I climbed back down. I felt comfortable. I looked down, conduit, crossbeam. There's not any way I could have fallen through all that. So I climbed up on the handrails. And so, right when we got ready to pick it up, it was really odd. The chills the goosebumps went down the back of my neck, like fingernails on a chalkboard. It was a signal from the guy upstairs, like, don't do this. And we picked up the scaffolding. We picked it up and it came back. And by the time I blinked, it hit me in the chest and threw me down 30 feet. Hard hat flew off, safety glasses flew off, and it got so quiet. And the first thing I remember was the gentleman that got me the job. He told us, never land on your feet. You'll blow your ankles, knees, and hips. And so hit, sideways, roll, and walk it off was my first thing. And so I'm trying to find my legs while I'm falling. Then I can finally see them. And so I got ready to land on the right side to hit and roll. And then my right leg got stuck in some airline and then stopped me and then bunged me back up And at that point, I was completely lost. And the first thing I felt was a humongous explosion in my head. I landed headfirst, and then I felt a big snap. And it's like, okay, what just happened here? Get up, walk this off. Couldn't get up. I relaxed, tried to get back up. Then I realized I can't breathe. And so I tried to relax, and I tried breathing, still couldn't. I kept my eyes closed, and then I got warm. The pain went away. I was, I don't know what you call that, but I was fine with it. All of a sudden, somebody grabbed my hands and snapped me out of that transition. People started to show up and uh, laying there when the paramedics showed up. They said to call AirVac. And then the whole mood changed. So they transported me to the nearest hospital because I started to bleed out inside because I punctured the lungs with the broken ribs. So they took me to the nearest hospital put me through an MRI machine, and I came out the other side, and this female trauma ninja nurse lady leaned over, got about two inches from my face, and she told me, you broke your back in three places, severed your spinal cord, you're confined to a wheelchair. <clears throat> uh-uh. No, you don't understand. This doesn't happen to a person like me. About three hours later, they put me in my little private room to get me kind of stabilized. And then it happened. Laurel walked into the room. What do you tell your wife? What do you tell your loved one? So I told her what the doctor said. She thought I was joking, but she broke down and cried, and I broke down and cried.
1: Wow. I can't imagine what that was like to go through for you. And then, Laurel, where were you when all this was happening?
2: I was at
0: work, actually. I was was working in a nursing home in Washington State. And it was five o'clock on a Friday night and I was ready to go home. And my supervisor said, I had a phone call. Nobody wants to get that phone call. Nobody wants to make it. My heart goes out to you if you've ever had to do that, because it's probably one of the hardest things you'll ever have to do. Mm. All they could tell me is that my husband had been in a serious accident and that I had to get to the hospital right away. I drove myself to the hospital, not even knowing if I was already a widow.
1: Wow. Well, I know a lot has changed since that fateful day, but how was your organization affected by your fall? The company I worked for, they did everything possible so they
2: wouldn't have to make the phone call. The day I got hurt, our safety guy was there that day watching us, And uh, I never got caught working unsafe. People ask me if my fall protection failed. I tell them, no, I did. Mm. People ask me how much money I made. Did you sue the company? No, my accident was my fault, and I have to take responsibility for that.
1: What about some of the other people you were working with? What was their life like afterward?
2: They had to go to counseling. I didn't hurt anybody else physically, but I did mentally. And the gentleman who got me the job, our safety guy, I hurt them so bad. The guilt doesn't go away. You just get used to it.
1: Wow. So I think that's a big thing that people don't realize. There's usually one or maybe a few people that get hurt physically, and that's easy to see, but then it's all the mental stress that other people are suffering from. And like you said, it doesn't ever go away. You just hopefully can get used to it to one level or another.
2: The day I got hurt, they cut all my clothes off. And so the next day, our safety guy, uh, Rex, went under the caution tape and gathered my belongings. And one item he found was my safety harness buckle that the fire department cut off. And he put that on his desk for 21 years as a reminder. And so when somebody would come up with an idea that wasn't safe, he would tell him my story and show them the buckle. I told him so many times, get rid of it. Don't put it on your desk. But he chose to keep it there for 21 years. And when he retired, he gave it to us. And when he gave it to us, we were talking to the company where I got hurt. And it was extremely emotional for Laurel when he handed it to her.
1: That's a great story. And I can imagine from his perspective, I'm sure it was devastating. And having that there as a reminder it probably helped him get through things to a certain extent. So let's talk a little bit about the safety culture at your organization before the accident. What was it like?
2: We had safety training, respirators, fall protection, eye protection, hard hat fitting. It was safety all the time for the company.
1: Well, what should workers take away from your story?
2: My whole accident was 100% my fault. I can't point the finger or blame anybody but myself.
1: Well, Laurel, what would you say? What would you add to this as far as the workers out there who maybe don't really participate in the safety briefings or they take risks that they shouldn't?
0: I think they need to think about the rest of their life, not think about work so much. It's just so easy to get focused on the task at hand and forget why you're there you're there to make a better life for you and your family. They're not going to have a better life if something happens to you. I mean, if you're severely injured or if you're killed, I mean, they're not going to have a better life. And you need to think about what it is that makes you want to get up in the morning and what it is that makes you want to go home at night, the things you're passionate about that you don't want to miss out on. It's so different for everybody. Sometimes it's a person, sometimes it's not. Sometimes it's a dog. One person on a family board put a picture of his Super Bowl tickets up there because that's what he was looking forward to. I mean, it might be maybe a grandbaby is going to be born next month. You just look at what you're looking forward to and think about safety in that perspective where it's self-care and you're making sure that you're going to be there to be able to do the things you want to do.
1: Yeah, you're so right. Safety can seem like a burden. You know, I've got this job to do. I've got eight maybe nine hours, I've got to get it done. But that's really like maybe 10 hours worth of work. Eh, If I just kind of skip out on this safety, I'm not going to put on this helmet. I'm not going to put on this harness. I'm going to climb up a little faster than I normally should. I'm not going to look for that safety belt or whatever it is. That's very easy to do. And I love the idea that you just gave, which is, hey, every day when you're showing up at a dangerous job, think about something you want to do in the future that's really important to you. And then when you see that safety harness, when you look at that hat, you're going to say, you know what? I'm going to stop for just an extra 30 seconds and I'm going to put this thing on and do it right. So, what do you want safety leaders and supervisors and trainers to learn from your experience?
0: So, I think for supervisors, any kind of leadership, I think that they need to do the same thing as the employees, but just in a different way. They need to find out what the employees are passionate about, what they're looking forward to, and make it personal. You know, make safety a relationship, not just a bunch of rules and regulations get to know your folks. And when you're coaching, say, Hey, Maria want you to be up there on that ladder without a harness, or you put on your safety glasses. Don't you want to see that new grandbaby that's going to be born next month? That kind of stuff.
2: Now we heard a story from a gentleman about three months ago, he had a 20 foot fall, but he, he got a brain injury from it. And his daughter just had a baby. And when he was crying, talking to us, he lost his sense of smell. the head injury and he could not smell the new baby smell and he was so sad
0: something you don't think about you know you don't know what you're going to miss until it's too late
2: and one thing that was difficult for me was when i came home from the hospital they have a little apartment at the hospital it was completely different from the house the bed the shower the bathtub and so it took about four months to adjust to the new lifestyle but that summer I thought it would be fun to take Spencer's training wheels off. So I took him off, put his little helmet on. He was about two and a half years old. And so I got the wheelchair, hung onto his seat and pushed him and the wheelchair knocked him over.
1: Mm.
2: So it's like, come on, get up, Spencer. And so he got up again. We tried it and I knocked him over. And then I heard a door close and Laurel and I have never met this person comes out Gives me a kind of a courtesy smile, picks Spencer up off the ground, puts him on his bike, and a complete stranger taught Spencer how to ride a bike. But this gentleman ended up to be Grandpa Donnie, a wonderful gentleman.
1: Oh, that's great. So how do you take this story to other people out there today? What do you guys do?
2: We just
0: travel around the country and do presentations for anybody that asks us, pretty much anywhere and anytime. We did six for one company and one was, you know, like 1030 at night. They want to make sure and get all of the employees, you know, all the shifts and all the days. And we don't want anybody to miss out. So that's what we do now.
1: It's a fantastic service that you're you're doing and you're able to do. How do you think the people you speak with receive the story? What are some of the, the common types of feedback that you get?
2: One feedback we get is people coming up, hugging us, crying. We hear some of the worst stories that make our story not bad at all.
0: Yeah, the people that heard our story, some of them come back 10 years later and say, hey, you saved my life and it makes it all worth it. I think, you know, a little thing where we say that we're trying to move safety from the head to the heart. That came from a comment right after a presentation. It was actually a safety professional. And he said that he's been in safety all that time, but that was the first time that it went from his head to his heart.
1: Now, when you're speaking with people, I can imagine the audience is a pretty broad spectrum of people that are maybe in their late teens, all the way up into their 50s, 60s. Do you find you get a different kind of reaction from those different age groups?
2: With the young kids, I make sure to make the eye contact with them. And once I do, they quit looking at me because they, I know they're like me. I can tell by their eyes. And so I try to reach out to the younger group to uh, let them know it's not worth it. It will happen to them. And with the older people, look out for the young guys. They need help. They need guidance. Yeah,
0: I think the older individuals sometimes they get complacent. They're like, "Hey, I've done this five hundred times this way, and I never got hurt yet." Well, honestly, if you've done it five hundred times that way and it's the wrong way, then the odds are that the next time you do it that way, you're gonna it's gonna get you.
2: But we had a gentleman early twenties came up, talked to Laurel and I privately, and he asked, the people I'm working with are unsafe. What do I do? I just got hired. And it's like, you need to report it. You have to do something. And again, all this was caused by my my one decision of unhooking my safety harness. I was unsafe all the time and never got caught. And this is the consequence. When I went to that fall protection safety meeting, the last flight of stairs I ever walked up to, I signed the clipboard, got a cup of coffee and a Snickers bar for 45 minutes, listened to this guy talk with a laser pointer. Completely blew it off 100%. And the last flight of stairs I ever walked down was leaving that fall protection safety meeting. Mm. I got excited about six months ago because I got a new wheelchair. I never imagined in my life I'd be excited to get a new wheelchair. They didn't have it in yellow, so I had to get neon green.
1: (laughs) Does it go faster? Uh, I think so. (laughs) (laughs) Well, Laurel, Russ, thank you so much for being here and sharing your story. I really learned a lot of great stuff. Appreciate so much that you're out there talking to folks, making them think about safety. Like you said, you got to move safety from the head to the heart because that's what makes people really want to pay attention.
0: Thank you so much for having us. Really appreciate it. And, um, you guys, just, Stay safe and take care of your crew and take care of yourselves.
1: Absolutely. Well, thanks for sharing your story with everyone. And to learn more about Laurel and Russ's work, check the links in the show notes. We'll be back next week for part two of our series on serious injury and fatality prevention featuring Mark Jones, EHS director from PlastiPack. In the meantime, please subscribe, rate, and review us wherever you get your podcasts. Have a safe week, everyone.
0: Thank you for listening to the employee safety podcast from Alert Media, the industry's most intuitive emergency communication and threat intelligence solution. To learn more about how to protect your people and business during critical events, visit alertmedia.com. Until next time.